shall I do this in a British accent? No. <laughs> Listeners are advised. This podcast contains coarse language, themes of an adult nature, and inappropriate thoughts about boy bands. <laughs> and inappropriate thoughts by boy bands, motherfucker. Hi, Zoe. Hello, Amy. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? How was your Christmas? It was fine. Did you come south? I did. I was about to attempt in a Southern American accent and I realised I can't do accents, so let's not do that. So I was going to sing South of the Border by Robbie Williams, which is an absolute banger. Uh, would highly recommend, but uh, nobody wants to hear me sing. In fact, I think we sang a bit too much in our last episode. <laughs> we got very excited. but it's so much, Is there such a thing as you and I singing too much? I'm sure the people are here for it. Some people. I think I'm we... sure there are people that aren't as well. <laughs> I think we just got overexcited when we were like, oh, we can sing. It's fine. Uh, let's sing. Isn't it insane that I refuse to do karaoke? Like, I won't do karaoke ever. I'm too embarrassed. But I will quite happily sing on a podcast. Yeah. That probably more people. I'll just sit. I just like singing. You know me. I think we should begin this episode with an apology, Zoe. I go ahead. Do you... What? 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 <laughs> <laughs> do you know what you're apologising for? I do know what I'm apologising for. On our last episode, okay. when I was encouraging Amy to watch the film Last Christmas, because it's one of the greatest Christmas films ever made, and Amy said I mean, to me, "I did enjoy it." Who's in it? And I went, "Oh, nobody's." I'd just like to clarify <laughs> that she asked me, she put me on the spot and she said, who's in it? And I hadn't watched it for over a year and my brain <laughs> couldn't remember anyone. So my brain went, if it's not Kate Winslet or Hugh Grant, and it's not someone that I can readily remember, they're nobodies. Um, and I have a confession that it wasn't full of nobodies. It, <laughs> it, I mean, it stars Amelia Clark, who has just been awarded an MBE. Uh, Emily Do you Clark, know what? MBE. It was so funny. As soon as we started watching it, I was like, "Oh, this is." Well, first of all, I saw Emma Thompson, and I was like, "Well, I mean, <laughs> oh we, yeah, Dame, we Dame Emma is. Thompson." Was also and then I was in like, "Amelia Clark's really famous," and Zoe was like, "What's she been in?" And I was like, "Well, Game of Thrones. Never watched it. Neither have I, but I've seen her in other things." And then I was like, "This guy looks like Henry Golding." Googled it. Was Henry Golding? And then. Michelle Yeoh, who's just won an Oscar. I was just pissing myself laughing. <coughs> Nobody's to me. Are they yeah. in the cabinet? Are they in the royal family? No. So yeah, I'd like to apologise to Amelia Clark, Michelle Yeoh, Emma Thompson, Henry Golding, um, and all the other pretty much famous, definitely more famous than me people that <laughs> star in Last Christmas. But I still encourage everyone to go and watch it. I do Even too. if you have to really buy it, it off Amazon, it's like £3.49. Well, I don't even I know how much Amazon really charge. Yeah. It's so good. And it should definitely be added to your list of Christmas films to watch. Agreed. Um, speaking of Last Christmas, do you bring us Last Christmas news, Amy? Oh, yeah, I do. After 139 years since... Wham! released first no, last Christmas. It got to number one for Christmas. D- destroy! This is like the opposite of boy band liberty, in which we say something's not happened, and then, <laughs> and then it happens. life. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, congratulations, George and Andrew. 
Yeah, I, I love that Andrew Ridgely's riding on a way. There was a, I saw on TikTok there was a little video of him um, at Piccadilly Circus when um, watching video of last Christmas when it was announced it was number one, and he's just kind of it, people's view of him has changed so much since that documentary. Yes, because before it was always like, oh, Andrew just sat on a stool playing the pretended to play the guitar, and no yeah. one liked him. And the documentary but- changed everyone's view because it came very apparent that he was an integral part of Wham. well don't so. don't ruin it because we're just about to launch into oh, our yeah. Wham episode yes so um we're back with a bang again and um this is part one of the Wham story right then so Wham it is we were gonna do E17 you said Wham yeah, yeah. so Wham uh 12 year old Yorgo Penny Iotu walked into Bushy Meads Comprehensive in a leafy North London suburb in September 1975 as the new boy. Uh, he was a little plump, had big bushy hair, large round glasses and a monobrow. He um, did, he did. Sounds quite the looker. Uh, when Mrs Parker, the teacher, asked for a volunteer to take the new boy under his wing, it was the more confident 12-year-old Andrew Ridgely who raised his hand to volunteer. During their break that day, they played a game which basically consisted of pushing each other off a wall. Uh, and Yorgo targeted, targeted his caretaker, Andrew, who fell hitting his head. And, in that way boys do, they were immediately besties. Uh, Andrew christened his new pal Yog, because it was easier to say than Yogo. Yeah, I'm not surprised. But oh, Can I just interject at this point? Yeah. Sorry, you know me. Already, we're not even uh, a Yeah, I in. know. Go well, for it. We're a few lines in. Isn't it amazing that they were mates from school? I love it that they were mates from school. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I ever really knew that back then. Uh, there were, there was a, there's a lot in this Wham story well, that I didn't know. Wham's a bit earlier than you though, isn't it? Yeah. So I was very... Wham was probably the first band I recognised as being... That I liked them because they were attractive. Obviously, I loved their music. Yeah. They, like, it was... Yeah. They were huge. Yeah. But it was the first... I had... Um, I was really into photography when I was little, yeah. as I always was. Um, and I used to keep family photos. Mm. And I had this, you know, those sticky back photo albums where you'd pull up like, yes. the plastic and it yes. was sticky. I took all my family photos out of one of those albums to put in, to collect Wham! magazine clippings. That's amazing. Kept it in my record box. We still got like, it? I doubt it very much. <laughs> Remember what it looked like, though? The cover of it was like bright pink and purple flowers. Oh, amazing. Probably came from Woolworths. Yeah, probably. Uh, the two boys would spend hours at each other's homes doing skits and making comedy radio shows. They were both big fans of Monty Python. Uh, they were writing songs and dream of one day becoming famous. They would thrash out songs on an old acoustic guitar and drum kit at Yogg's and record themselves on a portable cassette player that he'd been given for his seventh birthday. Oh. Uh, and they talked about starting a band. But Yogg was under pressure from his strict Greek parents to become an academic academic success above anything else probably to be able to read as well like unlike me read out loud mm. you go uh, <laughs> <laughs> i also didn't know this is obviously again interjection uh that they wrote all their own stuff right from the start right yeah. from the start from the very yeah. beginning they wrote all their own stuff and i think there was always i mean this is probably something we can talk about post not to give this the, the whole story away but like i was so surprised how involved andrew ridgely was because he always appeared as kind of the sidekick 
rather yeah, than Yeah, he was portrayed as a sidekick. Mm. We get it out of the way now because it will become very apparent. Mm. We we both sat the other night and re-watched the Wham! documentary mm. on Netflix, mm. which is where, you know, that cemented yeah. the, the Andrews, how much he was involved with the two of them together right from the start. Yeah. I'd read his biography, right. so I kind of knew that stuff already. I don't think that but, I yeah. had, but yeah, I... I mean, I loved Wham. Um, less keen on George's solo stuff, but we'll we'll get to that later. So their interest in music pulled them into the dance music scene, which had exploded in popularity after the success of the film Saturday Night Fever. God, 1975 was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, despite both their parents wanting the boys to make solid career choices, to them it would be music or nothing. And in 1979, they formed a ska band called The Executive. So it was it was Yog and Andy up front, Andy's brother Paul on drums, guitarist David and Andrew and a brother of Yogg's ex-girlfriend on bass. They rehearsed in living rooms and mainly played covers although Yogg and Andy had started writing their own material and on Bonfire Night 1979 they played their first gig at Bushy and Oxy Scout Hut where the walls were flaking with green paint and a damp musty smell permeated from the soft furnishings. Delightful. And a hundred school kids packed in to watch, which actually was probably the exact right target yeah. audience for them. Uh, they attracted the attention of a local talent scout um, and recorded a demo for his bosses before being shown the door. Um, the guy took the demo tape in thinking they were great and his bosses were like, no, mate. Oh. Uh, another couple of gigs and some personnel changes making them now a four-piece. They recorded a second demo and Yog and Andrew headed into London to secure them a record deal. You know, that ambitious, cocky way. You'd be like, so yeah, we've got the tape, guys. We're, now, we're off to get the record deal now. Give, we'll be back at five. Wasn't this what happened with... Um, who was the McFly guy? Richard. Richard... You know the. It was another R, Richard. It was. It was an Rashford. R, Richard Rashford, and remember we spoke with Chris <laughs> about it. We did an episode with him as well. Yeah. Didn't we? And they said they went in to meet him, and and it was in a hotel in the Intercontinental yeah. or whatever. Yeah, I love that. This this just makes me think of that people like rando mm. people just going to London to go to and knock become on the door. famous. <laughs> yeah. uh, they plonk themselves in the reception of record companies, telling anyone who would stop that they'd be making a grave mistake <laughs> if they pass up the opportunity to hear their demo. Uh, it wasn't an approach that worked. As right as they were. Yeah. Um, guitarist Dave quit, and then so did Andrew's brother Paul, and the executive were over. Their exams over and the pair of them still living at home, Yogg's father Jack delivered him an ultimatum. Get a record contract in the next six months or get a job. I think that was quite generous. Like just six the in- But no, even though like you might get a record contract, go out and do it. Not the you're never getting You're not record. doing it, right. Yeah, yeah. Get in the kitchen and you know, of of my restaurant and do the washing <laughs> in the up. Kitchen. <laughs> By now, 18-year-old Andy was dating Shirley Holliman, we'll come back to her, who had been in the year above them at school and they'd go out dancing in London's West End, frequenting a, frequenting a club called La Beat Route. La Beat Route. Yeah, <laughs> So good. Uh, but it was on the dance floor of a club called Bogarts in South Harrow that they were introduced to hip-hop with Grandmaster Flash and the Sugar Hill Gang. Dancing along to Rapper's Delight with Shirley and Yogg, Andy improvised his own lines, singing, Wham, bam, I am the man. 
and one night in the snug of a pub called Bushy, no, and one night in the snug of a pub in Bushy called the Three Crowns with Jack's dad old with <laughs> fucking hell <laughs> with Dad Jack's ultimatum still hanging in the air, they formed Wham. By February 1982, Yogg had saved enough money from his part-time job for them to rent a porter studio for £20. That's quite pricey. And they tied a microphone onto a broom and demo tape in Andrew's front room. Okay, so he'd asked, George had uh, Yogg had asked his parents for the porter studio for a present for his birthday or Christmas. And they'd given him something else that he didn't want that was nothing to do with music. Right. And their only way, to because they wanted to record demos, they had a friend who had one. So he agreed that he'd loan it to them for 20 quid, which is why it was fairly pricey for that time. Mm. And they could only afford to get it for one day because it was pricey. They recorded Wham! Rap based on the little rap that Andy had come up with on the dance floor. Next came recording about half of the upbeat Club Tropicana, inspired by their nights at La Beat Route uh, and the new romantic club scene around London. And finally, an early version of Careless Whisper, but Andrew's parents came home early, so that recording had been cut short, leaving just a few lines on the demo. <coughs> Sorry, I was holding that coffin. Uh, now aged 18, the two of them took their demo tape and literally locked, knocked on the doors of record companies in London again to try and get <laughs> anyone to listen. Turning up at the reception and pretending to have an appointment this time, and again and again they got turned away. So they'd go in and they'd do this act oh, where, yeah. like... One of them be like, yeah, yeah, we have an appointment such such. And when the receptionist was like, no, I'm sorry, we don't, we haven't got you down. The other one would be like, I can't believe we're not in the book. We've definitely got an appointment. Um, but it was something that record company receptionists were kind of used yeah, to. Yeah, so I mean, they, they cold, knew what they were. Pa- cold they were, callers yeah. do this sort of thing yeah. all the time still today. Through a friend, Andrew knew of a guy called Mark Dean who already worked in the music industry and lived just a few streets away from him. So Andrew popped a tape through his letterbox and then every time he bumped into him in the Three Crowns, he asked him if he'd listened to it yet. Like, how annoying. You're just out for quite a pint after yeah. work. Hard day being, being a record company <laughs> yeah. A&R man. Um, when Mark eventually got around to listening to the cassette, though, he was impressed enough, despite the poor quality sound uh, and the half-finished songs, that he wanted to sign them to the record collection label he was net just now setting up um so on march the 24th 1982 aged 18 and 19 and sat in a greasy spoon cafe in bushy yog and andrew were signed to a record deal with new record label innervision it's bloody lucky isn't it though oh, the guy lived two like two three it, streets it away is bloody lucky. and put it through his letterbox yeah. and he drank in the pub yeah the guy so mark dean had, had he'd done stuff with um I think he'd a and soft sell. Right. So he had, like, a, a record experience. already. Yeah, yeah. Know what he was doing. And if you ask to set up your own record label, you're not doing it off the back of not knowing what you're right. up to. Yeah. Right, right. So in a little under three months, their first release was ready. Now entitled Wham Rap, Enjoy What You Do. With his ex- That's a very... Can I just... Sorry to yeah. interrupt. Yeah. It's such an 80s thing, isn't it? To yeah. have songs where you've got the brackets. Yeah. It's kind of like, just call it one thing. Call it Enjoy What You Do. Yeah. Or call it The Wham Rap. Yeah. Don't like... They, I, think, I think it comes from the whole Enjoy What You Do is the line that people are going to remember from the yeah. song. But they want to call it Wham, Wham Rap. Rap. Yeah. <laughs> With his exotic name being both a bit of a tongue twister and a threat to spelling... It was decided that, oh, I can't even say this. Uh, Yog Paniyayo too. There we go. Was in much need of a stage name. He plumped for the anglicised version of Yorgio. Yorgio. (laughs) Yorgio. 
George and Michael after a school friend. And thus, George Michael was born. Well, he wasn't born, but you get the drift. And also, he's made, he makes it much easier for me not being able to pronounce... Yogo Paniayotu. There we go. Somebody's been practising. I think I went to school with a Paniayotu. I don't oh, know okay. how that flows so easily for me. Mm. It's like Doc Cotton in EastEnders with Mr. Opodopoulos. Yes. Carry on. Uh, Wham Rap was released as their first single in June 1982... And despite receiving great reviews in the music press, it failed to even make the top 100. Somewhat due to it being banned from being planned on the BBC because Sorry, it appeared... that should be played. <laughs> Somewhat due to it being banned from being played on the BBC because it appeared to encourage young people to enjoy a life on unemployment. They yeah. would ban anything those days. Oh, yeah, yeah. everything. Frankie Goes to Hollywood got banned for saying, relax. When you want to come. <laughs> thing is, though, I, I think nowadays if something gets banned... People want it more like that. It was that's a surefire way to oh, make it successful. Yeah, yeah, but this wasn't. It wasn't getting any airplay. I think they got airplay from John Pill, who was kind of allowed to do his own yes. thing. But his show was like a late night midnight show, and yeah. that, the people they wanted to buy the young kids weren't yeah. listening to it. Uh, Innovision sent them out on the road to raise their profile and build them up a fan base, traveling up and down the country, miming to a backing track in nightclubs. They recruited Andy's ex-girlfriend, Shirley, to be a backing singer and dancer, along with D.C. Lee, and they polished their act with dance routines, utilising the formation-style dancing they'd picked up in the London clubs. The legwork paid off and scored them their first interview in Smash Hits magazine on August the 5th. There was there was a lot of legwork going on for Innovision at this mm. point about touting them round, getting them some coverage, and that story we've heard time and time again of they're playing four or five nightclubs in the same, like being scheduled. You're doing this one at nine, this one at 10, this one at 11, and this one at midnight. And just, you know, the going is, into a crowd of drunk and rowdy people who yeah. don't know who they are, don't care. But the thing is also, Innovision was a new label, right? So they probably didn't have a lot of acts signed. So they, it was probably a major focus for them. Yeah. Uh, their next single was Young Guns and they remained under massive pressure from Innovision that if this one didn't chart that that would be their demise. Right. Uh, it entered the charts in October 1982 at number 72 mm-hmm. uh, and over the next few weeks climbed slowly uh, getting up to 48 it then dropped back to 52 then rose up again to 42 <laughs> um, but still not great for the record company's investment. Then out of nowhere they were called by the producers of Top of the Pops. Uh, another band had dropped out of the show and could they perform? Yeah, what they'd said in um, was it in the documentary we saw that they said you had to be in the top forty to get on yeah, top to of the pops. Yeah, to be on top of the pops, and but it was very unusual for them to take because anyone. someone had dropped out and they were at forty two. Yeah, they were seen as a riser, and they were, yeah, but it was a, a like a re- again stroke of luck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so on November the fourth, nineteen eighty two, not my not nine months since they signed the deal off the back of a scratchy demo tape shoved through a neighbor's letterbox. Wham made their first appearance on primetime television, dressed in denim and leather. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, and performing alongside Blumange, uh, Daryl Hall and John Oates. Hall and Oates! The Piranhas and Culture Club. Uh, they were beamed into the living rooms of 15 million people. Uh, and Wham Bam, the single was suddenly unstoppable. Uh, the very next day, they sold 30,000 copies of Young Guns. Wow. It flew up the charts to number 10 then number four, eventually peaking at number three, uh, and it was spent 17 weeks in the top 100. 
it's good going. Yeah, it, really they, good. it was on its way out, and before that, Top of the Pops, it would the next week it would have just gone yeah. boom. And Top then... of the Pops was the it pinnacle. Was massive. Yeah, yeah. I don't pinnacle. know that there's an equivalent to that show in the states. Mm, it was guess... a time. So at this time, we'd have had four TV channels. So there was only four channels to choose. Only what... just four. Yeah. Because Channel Four was only launched in 1982, which is this year. Yeah. So, so four TV channels. Yeah. Only one of them really had a chart show. Mm. And every seven, every Thursday evening at seven p.m., the entire family would tune into it. Yeah. And it was at that time. It was the first time you'd find out what the charts was yes so they eventually introduced that sunday countdown on bbc radio one yeah but before uh, this time that was the only way to find out what yeah, the charts were was I by watching right. top of the pops i don't even know if america really cares about singles charts I don't as much think... as we do no um so innovision rapidly re-released wham rap in january of 1983 and this time it peaked at number eight followed by Bad Boys in May, which achieved their highest chart position of number two. As their attention turned to recording a full album, problems with their contract with Innovision began. We've heard this story before. Tales old as time. (laughs) The pair started looking around for management in case things got worse. They consulted well-known manager Simon Napier-Bell about what their options for the future might be. In the process of recording the album... George and Andrew realised that George's songwriting was developing much faster than Andrew's. They knew that if they wanted to grow and progress that, then writing together wasn't their way forward. To achieve their goals, they'd need the quality of songs that only George was creating. The debut album, entitled Fantastic, what a great name, was released on July the 2nd and debuted at number one. How's that new album by Wham? Yeah, fantastic. (laughs) Brilliant name. Yeah. And it remained in the top 10 for 16 weeks and remained on the chart for 116 weeks. So for a first album... It's been over two years, on the charts for over two years. Great job. Yeah. They were flown to Ibiza to shoot the video for the next single, which was Club Tropicana. I can visualise that. Yeah. I don't know the last time I saw... Oh, no. Okay, we watched clips of it when we watched watched the documentary. We saw clips. But I could probably visualise every scene of that video. Everyone listening, you know what that video looks like. We've all seen it. Um, It's possibly the only boy band video to feature Speedos. It's got to be. Name one. I'm opening this up to the floor. If you can name a boy band (laughs) video where members of the boy band are featured wearing Speedos, Mm. they're writing. I mean, we know Take That got their asses out. (sighs) But yeah, Speedos specifically... Um, and it was released into the summer clubs at the end of July and reached number four. Uh, but despite their chart success, as Alton came, they entered a period of turbulence. Uh, they parted ways with DC Lee, who left to join the Style Council. Uh, and they replaced her with Helen DeMack, who went by the name Pepsi. And another split was looming as they were becoming increasingly dissatisfied with their Innovision contract. Uh, and the once supportive music press had begun to turn on Wham!, which I'm sure was in no part related to the fact that their most faithful following was distinctly young and female. Oh, really quite shocking. Yeah. Uh, they had now signed to manager Simon Napier-Bell and they embarked on their first nationwide tour to prove a point to the doubters. Mm. George and Andrew got really deep into the planning of the production. Um, they knew that they were the ones that were kind of best placed to implement all their exacting requirements and what their vision was for the stage show. The 30-date tour began on October the 9th, 1983 at the Capitol Theatre in Aberdeen 
a former cinema that held 2,100 hyped-up teenagers. Simon had secured them a £50,000 tour sponsorship from sportswear brand Fila, Fila, with the boys wearing their gear on stage throughout the show. There was a point in my childhood where my brother became obsessed with it. You go through these phases. At one point, it was um, stapler trousers, the ones that would always have a a line down the front. Um, And then it was like... um, what I call gabardine jackets, the little black jackets with the tartan on the inside okay. and a collar. Yes, um, I know what you mean. And then there was a feeler phase yeah. and it wasn't until doing this research that you seen, remembered. Well. I remembered why all the boys went through a feeler phase. Yeah. Uh, so the boys would wear their gear on stage throughout the show, which inadvertently led to George each, each night dressed all in white with the tightest of shorts, placing a shuttlecock down his shorts before launching it into the audience, which was probably the first recorded occurrence in history of badminton equipment causing women to scream in pleasure (laughs) the tour slowly wound its way down through scotland until it reached london for two sellout shows where george promptly lost yeah where george promptly lost his voice and the second half of the tour had to be rearranged Uh, the tour was to set them in place as true boy band material besieged by fans surrounding the venues their performances uh, were inaudible because of screams. <laughs> uh, it kind of took them by surprise. But for George, who's always been shy and secure next to Andrew, uh, the adulation was a high that he found addictive. Uh, and one mania had well and truly begun. Yeah, because uh, Andrew was... I don't know if anyone knows this or if anyone remembers this, but Andrew was fit when they were young. Oh, yeah. He was so hot. But then you, And I know he's been preamed up for videos but mm. when you look at the videos George was also hot but you just stood next to a hotter friend here's my bit of advice for you uh, listeners um, <laughs> if you want to feel self confident about yourself don't befriend people who are much better uh, much looking better than looking you because <laughs> you're never going to feel great um, uh, as if to cement their boy band status along with sell out nationwide tour multiple top 10 singles a number one album and the rapidly growing merchandise operation, they still had no money. Uh, they were earning just £40 a week and they both still lived at home. Again, story we've heard yes. before. Uh, they were receiving just 8% of the revenue from their singles sold in the UK and they didn't get a penny on any of the 12-inch versions, which were the ones with all the club remixes, which is what they were really selling mm. most of. Their conflict with Innovision came to a head with their lawyer informing Mark Dean that they were now looking to get out of their contract, which was too restrictive. Uh, and as the battle headed into court, Innovision released a Club Fantastic Mega Mix in December of 1983. They'd basically taken bits of all the unreleased songs off of Fantastic yeah. and mixed them together themselves mm. without the boys' approval because mm. they were trying to just get a last bit of buck in case yeah. this didn't happen. Um, it was an exploitative attempt to cash in on the guy's success, yeah. um, uh, and they were hoping to get take advantage of the like the Christmas party market. You mm-hmm. know, when you would have house parties and someone would just play a mega mix. Yeah, that's what they wanted to tap into. The guys urged their fans not to buy it, and that resulted in it entering the charts at just at number thirty and peaking at fifteen, which at the time for them mm. was really disappointing. So, yeah. you know, people were listening to them. This uh, is like um, Taylor Swift re-recording all her yeah, masters yeah, and the, saying buy the Taylor's version. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Innovision eventually admitted that there were royalties discrepancies in their contract. Fucking hell. We didn't notice it. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, and after their manager negotiated them a new deal directly with um, a subsidiary... 
And after their manager negotiated them a deal directly with CBS Records subsidiary Epic, they were out of their contract. Um, and Innovision eventually filed for bankruptcy and were then dissolved. Hurrah! Yeah. <laughs> Hooray! Um, and that's when we're going to cut off part one. Yeah. There's going to be part two. Yeah, well, there's going to have to be a part two because that's yeah. not the end of the story. Yeah. So, we're only, uh, up, spoiler. we're only up to Fantastic. There's another album yet. Yeah. There's another tour. Yeah. There's. Don't, don't give away the secrets. Oh, sorry. Spoilers. Yeah, so. um, We'll be back. We will. Soon. Bye. So part two will consist of the rest of the Wham story, which leads us up to the 139 years between then and uh, last Christmas being number one <laughs> this last week. I yeah. say 139 years because the <laughs> the headline... Is that because sh- it's how sh- old you feel? <laughs> no. Oh, is it like number sh- one, 39 <laughs> years? Yeah. I, sh- I took a screenshot of the notification when it came through and sent it to Zoe we do this sort of thing a lot we just screenshot shit and instead of having to explain it it's just easier screenshot i'm sure everyone else does it as well but the way it was laid out it looked like it said made it to number one 139 years after release (laughs) and zoe was like wow the last 139 years has gone fast (laughs) so yeah so we'll see what happened between then and now shall we see and we'll see if it's 139 years before we release the next episode. <laughs> we just we leave see... Wham half done. Should we Never see come if back. we can see... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is so us. That is so us. <laughs> no, should we see if we can um, remember how to fucking sign off the podcast this time? Because last time it was a shit show. Didn't uh, we used you to have a can... bit of a patter about um, your boy band not being oh, the one we've... at the top of the charts? Uh, it's the one it's... that got you from there to where you are now something yeah. like that well, well i think we should retire that because that is not the case we can't remember anymore. it <laughs> and we can't remember it. we're too old we're 139 now so it is hard to remember so um yeah let's do the social media yeah if you want to interact with us you can find us on twitter at the boy band pod instagram at i'm with the boy band we're on Facebook at I'm with the Boy Band, or you can email email us at theboybandpod at gmail.com. That is it. Yeah, we don't care about you leaving us a review. I mean, if you feel like it, leave us a review. If you want it to be one star, fine, go for it. We don't care. <laughs> I love the new us. Five years ago, Amy and Zoe are so shit compared to now, Amy and Zoe. <laughs> like us much better now. It's great. This is so- just us. Basically, you partaking in Amy and I getting some time together regularly I feel That's like we're, we're better friends now than we were then as well even though we were good friends then I just feel like our friendship has evolved in the last five yeah. years absence makes the heart grow fonder oh that's yeah. what it is yeah okay that, that makes sense <laughs> alright well yeah, thanks, thanks guys thanks, yeah thanks for joining us we'll see you next next for part time two, oh yeah next of, week <laughs> for part two of wham exclamation point Bye. 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 <laughs> Bye. Our theme tune is Dance With You by Fire and Lights from the Songs About a Girl trilogy by Chris Russell. Visit songsaboutgirl.com. <laughs> <laughs>